The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! to the Third Men Podcast. This is Jack White, Third Man Records History Program, and I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. And we bring with us our first season three-peat guests. (laughs) We'd like to welcome back Alex and Jordan from Copper Sound Pedals. Is Pedals on the end of that, or is it just Copper Sound? Pedals is on the end. You could say without it, too, sometimes, but yeah. Can we say copper sound pedals and tapes? Yeah. We do CSP. Okay. Mm-hmm. CSP, yep. We've got Ooh. records and vinyls and... <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well... It's whatever you guys want it to be. Yeah. <laughs> that was way more wishy-washy than I thought it was going to be. The copper sound guys are back. Alex Garaldi and Jordan Collins. How are you both doing, gentlemen? Fantastic. Yes. How about yourself? How are oh, you guys we're doing? doing okay. James is doing terrible. He I, doesn't want to tell us about it, though. <laughs> Something a, happened. Tell us, James. stuffed marshmallow. It wasn't very tell good. Us. That was tell us. the gist of it. I Look, we don't regularly start this show off on how are we doing, Paul? Like, me yeah. and you, we don't we don't really discuss that too much in the show. Yeah. Because I feel like no one cares that I ate a chocolate-stuffed marshmallow that I didn't particularly <laughs> care for. Because I didn't care about it. But now I'm here, and I'm talking to you and the audience about it. <laughs> James... Everyone's going to care what we have to say this week, because this is a week where we are returning with an episode that we haven't done since season one, episode 15. We are returning to the Would You Fight For My Love style episode that we started in uh, episode 15. And this is one... That I think, Alex, you had recommended that we do again because you happen to enjoy that episode, which I'm very happy to hear. We had fun recording that one. I always think that's the one, if you're going to start listening, first of all, don't listen to like the first hundred. But if you do go back and listen to those first hundred, that's a pretty good one. Like there's like, I would say there's like 
five of them in the first hundred that are like fine. And that's one of them. So I was happy to hear you enjoyed it. Yeah. I think at one point I was going through the back catalog and when like Carl Butterball wasn't there, I would be paying attention to some of the episodes and that one, (laughs) that one, the would you fight for my love always struck me as something that could have been a reoccurring. It, It definitely has the legs for a reoccurring type of thing. And the thing I mentioned to you guys in Jordan is like, it's fun research and it's stationed in positive. Like everything is about like why this is cool. There's no slander. There's no like, Hey, this sucks. You know, it's like, this isn't my favorite Jack tune. Tell me why it should be. And I thought it was a cool, cool vibe. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we should say for the listeners who haven't listened to episode 15, would you fight for my love is when we pick our least favorite Jack tunes. Yeah. Or at least one that doesn't resonate as strongly with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, like we've said many times on the show, we are sycophants. We love it all usually. And so when I say least favorite, it's like, yeah, but we still like, like them. You know, it's not, we don't like, like them. It's just, you know, they're our least favorite. So we go and pick those and then it's up to the other person to change our mind. It's kind of a good faith argument, really, because if you give the other person any credit, then you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. But we're going to just, we're going into this with good faith. And like you were saying, Alex, positivity. Mm -hmm, Of course. So we go into these and we say, okay, all these songs are going to start at zero. And if you've changed my mind at all from one men, two men, three men, you get that corresponding point. We Mm. can do incremental points. So for example... I would go, I'm just going to pick a song from the last time around out of the air, which I so happen to have the show notes for. I had picked at some point last time around Switch in the Spur, mm-hmm. and I would have gone in with a zero. James would have had to change my mind, and if he changed it, well, okay, now maybe the song's like a one, or the song's like a one and a half, and then that would be the points that he gets. So we're not going to really pay too much gotcha. attention to the points, because the points don't really matter, you know, it's who's yeah, line is anyway yeah, rules, yeah. yeah. But we'll have them there in case anyone's interested, I think. So the difference between episode 15, we now have four people competing instead of two people. <laughs> so Alex had the wonderful idea to break off into teams so that it would be a little bit more contained and we can kind of organize the chaos a bit more. So Jordan and I are going to be on one team. The winning team. Yeah, well, is that should that be our team name, the winning team? That might get confusing <laughs> if we lose, but we won't. It's good to go in with a good headspace. <laughs> James, you want to be Team Spice Girls? Uh, you I mean, obviously. <laughs> there we go. Why don't you tell me what you want what you really really want? <laughs> Jordan and I are going to be on the winning team and James and Alex are going to be on the Spice Girls. And that's odd, but it's happening. It's so, Surprisingly, yeah, no yeah. Jack references in the team names, so we're killing it so far. We're do- uh, well, there's sub-team names because I'm White Spice. <laughs> wow. And uh, there are also Dom team names because I'm Whippet Spice. <laughs> <laughs> Can we all be Spice Men for this? Is that something we should do? We're no, the Spice Men. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, can we, can we do that show? Is it too late to start over? Is it too late? <laughs> this is actually episode 149, James, so maybe 150 is a good spot to break this off so, and then yeah. do the spice cast that we've always wanted to do. No, the cardamom awesome. pod. 
Oh. Yeah. You're <laughs> that, welcome. That broke me. That's very good. I was, Shit, I was good. so proud of that. I couldn't even laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb. I love it. So anyway, I don't think we have an order. I, I don't know if we have any house cleaning to attend to, James. I mean, I've got some dishes I gotta do, but... Oh, I have something. Before we actually play this game, we do have a bit of house cleaning to get to. It's brief, though. It's brief, though. Should we do that, James? Yeah. What do you think? Why not? What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a bagel. Say the the right thing. Everything. Everything bagel. (laughs) And pancakes. Hey, pancake batter. All right, James. I'll show you how to express your opinion in English. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and whip these up for brunch this weekend. What is pancake batter, James? It's when we have an opinion. Somebody has an opinion about something, and uh, they, you know, they express it to us, and we're expressing it to all of you. And you guys can determine whether or not it matters or not. Yeah. So at the time of this recording, last episode, we did a an anatomy of a fandom, White Stripes, the anatomy of a fandom, and we played a bunch of listener covers. Thank you again to everybody who submitted those. Some really good ones in there. And we had talked a bit about the song Handsprings, James, in the first part of that, because we were talking about that as a contender of one of your favorite songs Mm -hmm. from the White Stripes. And I thought this was cool. This comes from Third Person in Spirit every week, Tam Davis, who noted that she and Lyle Hopwood once discussed the song Handsprings and said it was like Chuck Berry for a new generation. And you know what? It totally is. When you think about the song Handsprings, that sounds like a Chuck Berry tune. I guess, sure. I don't know if I'm exactly right there with y'all. I think that's dead on, because you got the long sort of verse that's more based on a story, and then you have the guitar refrain, except it's a little more punky in the guitar refrain as opposed to, you know, what Chuck Berry was doing, which is, let's be honest, the same lick over and over and over again. <laughs> Well, it's because he got it from Marty McFly. (laughs) Now, if you want to hear some boogie like I'm going to play, it's just an old Brianna and a knockout bass. The drummer man's a cat they call Kicking McCoy And I know you remember that old rubber leg boy Mama's cooking chicken fried and bacon grease Come on along boys, it's just down the road of peace I took my girl to go bowling downtown at the Red Door After an argument I started because I thought she didn't like me anymore Sometimes I feel pitiful And of course she's so young and beautiful
I thought it was an insightful comment. I prefer Marvin. James Marvin Berry. James doesn't think so. Tonally, I think the song is is different. Personally, uh, maybe I, I. I'm not I, talking about the approach. I'm talking about the the actual song itself. Mm. Okay. We're gonna play some back to back here. James isn't convinced. Tam, you're gonna have to write in and convince James. He's really pissed at you. <laughs> He's had a bad day. <laughs> she also went on to say that the Never Far Away cover made her think of Simon and Garfunkel, which I think is is really, really um, accurate because that was a nice poetic telling of that song. Quite liked it. And uh, yeah, so I guess that's that'd be about it, James. I think that's pancake batter. What do you think? I think so. I think we have enough to make some pancakes. You guys want to play a game? Yes. Are you still there? Or is this thing on? <laughs> We're just enjoying the show. Enjoying. <laughs> you guys All want right, me let's... to do Carl Butterball? I could, yeah, I could spit some hot fire with Butterball here. Uh, I'm yeah. ready to play a game, Paul. Let's do it. All right. Let's play Would You Fight for My Love Copper Sound Edition. Team Woo. Spice Rules. Let's do it. The winning team. The winning here we team. go. So... I don't really have an order here, but why don't you guys go first? Why don't Alex and James go first? And Alex, since you suggested this game, why don't you go first with one of your picks for one of us to defend, and it's Taster's Choice. So I had to pick a song for either you, Paul, or Jordan. So I say we throw it right back to you. Ooh. And the song I had given you, I wasn't sure if you initially did this for a reason. I won't spoil anything, but it looked the song you gave me is off my favorite Jack record. <laughs> so I tried to throw it back to you and give you a song off what I recall remembering as your favorite Jack record, which is mm-hmm. Satan. So for your song to defend, it is Instinct Blues. So why don't you first tell me a little bit why you don't care for this song? Well, again, the the phrasing is like not favorite type of thing, right? Which is another reason I really like this segment too. It's like, this isn't really my jam, so to speak. So any Jack listener of the show and of his stuff, definitely I feel like Satan might be their most experimental record of uh, the White Stripe stuff in I would say it's probably my, it might be my second favorite record of theirs, but Mm. there's something, I think there's a redundancy in this song that Mm. it, there's a cool tone of the song with it, but there's, I think the thing that misses on me is the redundancy in the lyrics and it feels a little linear for me, which I know that a lot of the Stripe stuff is like a, Hey, here's straightforward. Here's what you're getting type of thing. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I think just for me, it, it misses lyrically on this for its redundancy and i guess those are the main points on this i again 
Satan is probably maybe my second favorite record after Icky Thump, just for its diversity and uh, attempt to do different stuff. I guess if there was a marimba on this song, it would have been better. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> can hear you. <laughs> over, overall, I, honestly, too, the back half of the record, I think, is surprisingly strong. Yes. Uh, Red Rain, you know, I think there's a lot of great stuff on the back half, but this one just missed me. Well, I want to start off here with just empathizing with your point that it is a little redundant with to me with Red Rain. In fact, when we did the Different Stripes reimagining of Get Behind Me Satan, I blended this and Instinct Blues into one medley together just because I felt like they were they were almost of a piece. Mm-hmm. But I'll start with a bit of background on the song. So this is, as you mentioned, from the White Stripes fifth studio album, Get Behind Me Satan. It's one of two, I don't know what you call them, blues rambles on the mm-hmm. record. It's got a, a Delta-inspired tone to it, biting lyrics, certainly. And funnily enough, when James and I discussed it on our Get Behind Me Satan episode, we sort of glossed over because we we're sweet virginal boys. Uh, the fact that... It, is fairly plainly talking about sex at least on the surface and so this song does kind of stick out like a sore thumb on satan if anything for the fact that most of that album is kind of piano based Mm -hmm. a little melancholy with a focus on that more kind of childlike sound i would say except for a track like this and a track like blue orchid i think that's why they kind of stick out Mm -hmm. a little bit So my defense for this track is as follows. So I think part of the defense for this song could be its placement in the record. You know, it starts like a lot of other Satan songs and it it does have a bit of bridge in there, but then it kind of swings into the classic white stripesiness of it all. And it's part of that argument that I really started to dwell on is this song sticking out oddly on this record, a result of it sounding like it could have come from an early White Stripes record. Could it have come on the self-titled? Would this have fit on Distill? I would argue, yes. They're, it's consistent with those older records. And I don't think that's by accident. I think that's part of my, actually my defense for the why this song is particularly interesting. It's because I would point to where he was in his life at the time of recording a track like this so listen he was in a relationship with renee zellweger for two years two years in your 20s a two-year relationship is a long ass time (laughs) especially when you're famous and in your 20s Mm. everything is heightened it's almost it puts it all on steroids and when that ends that is gonna hurt And so think about the troubles Jack was going through at the time. He has this split with Detroit. He got arrested. Look, this is at the height of also his fame. I think this song, when you look at the lyrics, I mean, I don't want to really talk about the guy's love life too much, his private life in that way, but I think there is an element of like, hey, that was a big relationship, and he was in the studio only a what a month two months after that split so a lot of these songs are bound to be about that hurt and that pain and that's one side of it but there's also the instinct side of it so jack is notorious for his use of snap judgment and instinct to make decisions 
and sometimes decisions that wind up altering the course of his career dramatically. And I would submit that this song is Jack grappling with the simplicity of his past and what it would mean for him to be a man moving forward. In the early months of 2005, when the White Stripes were ultra-famous but still living in Detroit, Jack and Meg record this album, the follow-up to their biggest, most culturally important album in their career, in his living room. A living room in Detroit. That's exactly where it all started. This is a retreat. It's a guy in pain retreating. And through the course of this retreat, Jack finds rebirth into the next phase of both his life and his career. But at this point, at this juncture, when he writes this song, he's retreating back to the basics. And at the beginning, as we know, it just wasn't working. His instincts were failing him. His instinct to cuddle up with nostalgia and recapture the magic, it wasn't there. We know that this album was sort of falling apart until Blue Orchid came up. And again, that you could argue is also a retreat because it's capturing a sound that's very similar to what had come before. So I think a part of the reading of this song could be that the you he's talking about is himself. You know, everyone gets it, so why doesn't he? And it would take a change in perspective, an altering of his instincts, and a change in physical location from Detroit to Nashville for him to, quote, get with it. So I'm looking at a song like this, and I'm, I'm looking at a couple things. I'm looking at the pain in the lyric. I'm looking at the bite in the lyric and the bile in the lyric. Because there's, re- there's an interpretation of these lyrics that could sound a little nasty. In fact, does sound really nasty. And I think he's angry. He's, you know, he's lashing out in here. But I think what, what you're seeing in lyrics like this is the last gasp of boyhood before he becomes a father, a businessman, etc. You know, a man in general. And so I think that's why it would sound so in line with those earlier records. Because those earlier records have, as James and I talked about it on a previous episode, a lot of that teenage angst. It's a lot of that. You know, the girl doesn't like me. Well, what's wrong with me? Screw her. But it's all coming from this place of like, I don't understand the world yet. And it's funny that he uses instinct to help tell part of that story because you use instinct to navigate the world. So just going through the lyrics here, I mean, the crickets get it. The ants get it. I bet you the pigs get it. Yeah, even the plants get it. Now come on now and get with it. Yeah, I want you to get with it. Like, that's mean. <laughs> he's, he's, the, the, when he phrases pigs, you could hear it in his voice. Pigs. It's just, he's angry. This is an angry, youthfully sounding song, which I would argue he grows out of a bit after this point. You still get them here and there, but I would argue he grows out of these types of songs a bit. And the lyrics go on, so on and so forth. He, he basically names a lot of other things that get it, you know, on that instinct level. And we'll talk about another instinct song as we move forward. But one I wanted to point to as being especially nasty is the line, and all the chickens get it, and them singing canaries get it. And then he doesn't put a line after that. He goes, woo! <laughs> they all get it. Why don't you? He doesn't put a line after that. It's the only one in the whole song he doesn't put a line after. Hmm. He takes a pause to let that sink in because he's mad. 
blowing off some steam on that third line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think, I think that was on purpose. Mm-hmm. He's taken in that moment of anger. And then he follows up, even the strawberries get it. <laughs> Which is hilarious, actually. That's, a, that's very funny. But, you know, obviously, strawberries pollinate and... You know, if you were to look at a strawberry from the top down, I guess you can try. <laughs> um, so what I would say to you, and actually I wound up appreciating this song more and just taking a real hard look at it, that this is young Jack dying out. This is young Jack being reborn in a song like this, in an album like this. But I think this song is one of those where it's like, He's about to leave this type of phase of his life behind. Woo! <laughs> Indeed. That's all I got. Woo! No, that was that was good. I didn't. <clears throat> that was fantastic. Wow. Yeah, you know, I think Jordan and I were both talking about it, and you guys probably have talked about it. That whether you're on the side of defending it, whether you liked the song, or if you it wasn't really your thing, it then doing that research makes it become your thing more so. Yes. You know, and it makes you appreciate that stuff, you know. I definitely like your point of this could have been like early naughties, like a distill type song that maybe didn't come through. And, you know, it's funny. I For some reason, I didn't even think about it. Maybe because I was focusing too much on like the lyrics. I yeah. definitely see the whole instinct thing. That is like Jack in a box instincts <laughs> and just going on the fly. I definitely feel like uh, whether he spoke it to Meg when recording this, her symbols react to kind of how he's feeling too. Like, yeah, they're hammering. Like she's doing a call and response too. Yes. You know, in her drums. So she's, again, they're a match each other's energy type of thing, which makes me appreciate it. It makes me feel like this could have also been a B side on the farm fly blues. Yeah. An original be like before it's pre farm fly blues, but this has a very blues vibe to it in general. Well, obviously for, you know, obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. It's called instinct blues, but it's got that traditional subject matter. It's somebody who's singing in metaphor, but talking about something that's a, of everyday life. And mm-hmm. you could picture, you know, a guy on his porch just plucking a guitar. You know, just even the flies get it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, well so, said, Paul. You, you, uh, very eloquent. Woo. Well, so Alex, if you were to start at a zero, where would you wind up? I think I'm going to go to a... So you say it's from zero, and then we're going between the three men standard... And you uh, can do halves grade. and quarters if it's you It's the like Cold Stowed Cranberry system. Yes, yes. that's right. <laughs> I'm going to go my instinct on this. I'm going to go 1.3 from zero. 1.3. I guess the defense rests its case. <laughs> All right. Well, excellent. So... I guess it's our turn next, the winning team. Jordan, do you want to go first? Do you want to pick one? Sure. You're the guest, for God's sakes. You pick. (laughs) All right. My pick for Alex was Hypermisophoniac.
Thanks for that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So do you want to say, Jordan, why you did not care for, or why it is one of your least favorite hypermisophoniac? Sure. So again, kind of back to Alex's point, I don't think there's any throwing shade here or anything. I just, from the boarding house reach record, I just thought that this, it didn't stick out to me as much as the others did. And I do happen to know why he made the, the instrumental decisions that he made like music wise. But this was really one that I really looked deep through this record and I said, I like this one, you know, this resonates with me. This one just did not stick out to me hmm. at all. So I really am looking forward to being enlightened about this one. <laughs> all right, Alex, you're on. I'm going to take a sip of water and uh, <laughs> adjust the tie for the listeners. I'm filling the glass vigorously like uh, in Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. <laughs> I was going to say, you're, you're about to talk to the jury over here. <laughs> What is this? This is the fifth track off uh, Boarding House Reach, which definitely, speaking of ambitious and standing out in its own way, like I mentioned to you, Paul, with Satan, like this definitely, like he was all over the place with this. And Jordan even mentioned at the beginning of his thing about he got out of his comfort zone for this record with like doing Pro Tools, getting rid of the hard guitars to play like the Wolfgang. He, He traded for like the easy stuff. So... He never liked stuff to be easy for him, so he struggled. So his struggle for this record was to do something easy, which is so jack of him. Like, (laughs) you know what would be hard for me? To make it easy on myself. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, again, that's not an argument for this song in general, but as the overall of Boarding House, that had that cool Jack did it to himself again vibe. Right, you can take that concept and kind of apply apply it to it. All right, so... I'm going to open up with really the only defense I need is that Carla Azar is on drums and I rest my case. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I thought that was a... So I'm looking through the liner notes and for this session he did Nashville stuff. He went to New York. He went to LA for stuff and he assembled essentially a large cruise in both places. As we know and fans know, he ended up having Carla go on tour for this. But there's a few songs on this that like aren't Jack playing the instruments that he normally would for acoustic electric drums stuff like that so Carla Azar is on drums which just that fact alone helped it for me personally just because I'm a big Carla fan here it was also surreal seeing her do that commercial that he did for the triple graph so there's a little bit of a bias there objection I'm just kidding (laughs) did you say objection (laughs) (laughs) my next point on the case of the, uh, the actual musical side of it for personnel would be the song features Jack on synthesizer himself, which you don't really see too much of. I think when a lot of people think Jack and synth, they're probably going to think of Icky Thump. Mm-hmm. That certain, I forget the name of that synthesizer we play on there. That's kind of a cool feature that he doesn't really do that stuff. And again, him putting himself outside of that nature He's usually doing keys, piano, and stuff like that. The fact that he's doing the synth on there, I thought was really cool. But let's go into the meaning. So he actually made this word. A misophoniac essentially is uh, someone who suffers badly from misophonia. So he just tacked on hyper here. It's a condition specifically where sounds like chewing, yawning, whispering, 
popping gum, all that type of stuff trigger an aggression towards the origin of the noise. So there was some interviews, some videos and stuff of Jack talking about the song when he was actually doing some campaign for Boarding House. And uh, he said that the development of that, like it interested him in the disorder, which inspired him to create a song out of annoying sounds, including the sound of his own kid's fidget cube toy, which he explained in an interview where he took his kid's fidget toy. I don't even know really what it is, but he talks about it like it's a Rubik's cube type of thing. And he said he triple tracked that at the beginning. You can hear the fidget toy. He went on and quote, I'm not going to do the Jackson. (laughs) Thanks. There are these people who have a hatred of sound and certain sounds drive them to tears. White said, I thought, what if we took annoying sounds with a recording, annoying musical sounds and tried to make something beautiful out of them? He then goes on to say, I don't think we succeeded, but we definitely got the annoying part down. (laughs) Which I definitely like that honesty in Jack. So in the song, there's also distorted vocal samples, an ICU beeping, a detuned piano. You'll hear one voice whispering in the left ear. You'll hear another, like, drilling into the right ear. I would say hyper misophoniac achieves exactly what the name suggests. Minutely concentrated torture. <laughs> so reading through, I was watching interviews with him on this song. Because, again, Jordan said it's a, it wasn't something that really struck him. I would say for me, it struck me, but not positive. Like in the beginning, it's one of those like, what's going on here type of thing. And it's pretty early in the record. So I was reading through, and when I wrote down this him talking about trying to make ugly things beautiful or have this composition i wrote that the humility and honesty of the last sentence referring to him i don't think we succeeded but we definitely got the annoying part down i wrote here that i thought the humility and honesty of the last sentence makes me appreciate the song in regards to seeing an idea through to completion Trying to find musical beauty in this cacophony of harshness is a neat song experiment. And if Boarding House Reach is the experimental exploration for the third man himself, this song would be the poster child. Well said. Wow. Yeah. Some of the best words I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, second only to Paul Art Mall Cop or whatever <laughs> the from the last time you guys were on. It was pretty good. <laughs> So that's, I think that's the thing that I, again, this, I'm not saying this is my favorite song on BHR, but I think him setting out to achieve this thing, even if the best form of it is an ugly thing, Hmm. setting a goal, recording it, achieving it in an atmosphere where he's not used to, I think that has some merit on its own, even if the, again... It's one of those things where I think the concept might have been better than the content, but the fact that he he sought out to do it and achieved it, felt strong enough about it and put it on a record, I think there's something there for that. Yeah, sort of sums up the whole project, doesn't it? That song. That's why I'm saying like this is like the song. This is not the song to show a person for the first time. <laughs> you know, but again, I, I, and it's weird. It's it's. I don't like to preface something like, "Hey, check out the song," but also I have to. T- I have to show you this interview for ten minutes. Like I have to tell you about this. I think yeah. it's one of those things. Once you learn it too, 
it might give you a slighter appreciation for it. Mm. It's not going to convert anybody like, that song is I'll Die on That Hill. You know, I don't think that's necessarily happening, but I think for me, on defending the song, the goal was to just give at least a little bit more appreciation for what it is as a whole and how the concept finished. With respect to Boarding House Reach, I don't think any song on that album would be the one I would give to somebody going, hey, this is the artist you should get into. (laughs) I think it would be a strange pull. So I kind of agree with you on that. Maybe over and over and over. Probably. Maybe. Mm. I'd give somebody Ice Station Zebra, but that's just because I really love it. I don't know. It's not. Yeah. That album is so wild and goes in so many different directions. Mm -hmm. I think it's the wildness ultimately and the audacity of the choices which is i think kind of what you're saying that i prefer over the content itself Mm -hmm. and like james and i at the time were comparing it to the last jedi basically saying like we like the intent so much and we like that it pisses so many people off Mm -hmm. so much that we like that about it and it sort of doesn't matter what the content is. We like right. the statement mm-hmm. of it more. So basically, we aligned ourselves with Tim Allen and his love for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> he likes that Trump pissed people off. <laughs> Are we that? Did we do well, that? It's some kind of troll. It's some kind of bad thing that we are. I'm not debating that. That's not... <laughs> no one's fighting for our love, James. It's true. It's an attack on, though, to the argument... I don't know. Is this is this against the rules? Can I? Can I? You're my partner in spice. Let's. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Everything's I, nice. The, this song. I mean, I love this song. You you mentioned no one will die on this hill. I will die on this hill. Hypermusic <laughs> is amazing. But I come from a, a love of of electronic music in general, and this song does something I really enjoy in a lot of electronic bands. Specifically, um, a band that does it a lot is the Avalanches, which is starting samples of sounds and building the samples up over time until it's an orchestra of these samples to create a nice kind of variety that does come together as its own song. So you start off very simple and you move on to complex. And so I really enjoy that aspect of it. And then some kind of good examples of this would be there's Annoyed Grunt by Neil Ciceriga, which uh, he he starts off with samples of, lo and behold, Tim Allen doing his, <laughs> his Tim the Toolman Taylor Grunt, and he builds this this awful song out of awful samples, and it's a fun experiment. Welcome to Larry King Live. How do you explain Tim Allen? I think those are some great points. I mean, there's certainly some merit and certainly value in seeing an idea through till the end, you know, regardless of if the content is actually, you know, debatably good in people's eyes or not. But I I think the idea of trying to embrace something that some people might not find attractive to listen to is is very strong. So admirable. Yeah, definitely. So if this was at a zero for you, Jordan, going into this, what is hypermisophoniac now? Be honest. <laughs> totally honest, not knowing the score. I'm going to say a 1.5. Ow, that's right. 1.5. I got to say, I, I knew just a little bit about the song. You know, I knew that. We talked was, about it in the shop when it came yeah, out. Yeah. 
but I, you know, this deep dive is totally on its on its own as far as information. So I, I thought that was. I got him with Carla, and the rest he tuned out. Pretty much, <laughs> I made my decision in the first three seconds. <laughs> the song I was referring to earlier, by the way, was "The Noisy Eater" by the Avalanches, featuring Biz Marquee. It's him talking about eating cereal, and it's really good. And I highly recommend wow. it to anybody. <laughs> Jordan bought the item. Why are you still selling him? I look. <laughs> I just want. I'm, I'm also trying to sell the Avalanches uh, Noisy Eater song by Biz Marquee. It's very mm. good. Well, James, why don't you sell us on your first pick for one of us to defend here? Well, Paul, since you already did your defense earlier, let's go for, uh, let's have Jordan defend Why Walk a Dog. Why do you hate this song and joy? <laughs> That's I, not the I, wording for this show, yes, Paul. We're not going to <laughs> we're not going to say this every time. But Why Walk a Dog just never clicked with me. It felt like more of an afterthought on the album than a lot of the other songs. Or it felt like unfinished in a way. There was something that just wasn't as polished as I wanted it to be on that album. And I didn't think the metaphors were all as strong as some of these other songs. But we'll get into that in, in one of the songs I have to defend. So anyway, uh, Why Walk a Dog? It's good. I, I don't mind it. I just find it uh, to be not as strong as his other material on that album. Gotcha. Okay. Well, first, I have to say I'm actually really glad that you threw this song my way because it's actually one of my favorites off of the album. So All right. that, was a, that was a pro when I looked at the sheet. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great. So... The first thing that I like to kind of touch on about this song is kind of a technical thing, but this is the first song that we're introduced to the Mantic Flex pedal. Mm. When the guitar solo comes in, you kind of hear this dive bomb, theremin-esque squawks as they wrote in the copy. And it's interesting because if you're not familiar with guitar pedals that have this type of sound, it's, it's very interesting you're almost like what is he doing here is it like a a machine dying is it like something just it just sounds odd but it sounds really cool so i think speaking on that the guitar solo alone and i don't really throw this around lightly but i think it's a masterpiece when it comes to simplicity and emotion for me the song kind of puts me in a gloomy atmosphere where when the guitar solo kicks in i almost start to feel the empathy for the animals he's referencing and it there's not a lot of notes going on but it's i feel like he just was able to portray that in a way that's very that's very strong and i think it's like the perfect example of conveying emotion through the instrument like the actual feeling and in this stage which was interesting is jack was trying to write songs based on singing just the melodies and I thought that was really cool because that's kind of unconventional for how he usually does it. And I, I don't know like his exact science on how he always writes, but he had mentioned that this is something new. And he said also connected by love is another example of kind of just shooting off the cuff and going into it raw. And 
just seeing what comes out by singing a melody and see what you can construct afterwards. So I thought that was cool seeing an instance of that and just kind of knowing it was one of the first iterations of that. Apparently he's never written that way before, so I think it also goes along with the whole theme of the album of being experimental and trying new things and like pushing the boundaries as far as maybe what he would be comfortable writing in maybe another album. Okay. And as far as the song itself, the actual meaning, I'm kind of picturing himself like rolling his eyes at like the fact that people are finding like for example like cat videos online so funny and like like TikTok and Instagram because the animals are, are essentially just being themselves but you know we find it so entertaining sometimes that we we're like oh look at this cat video look at this dog video you know and I could picture him just based off like kind of what I know like really like this is what we're doing this is kind of ridiculous and people get a lot of entertainment out of that but going off that as well I think some of the most important or the most powerful lines in that song that really stood out were stuck a price tag on their nose and now you're buying it clothes so and that's referring to you know obviously people dressing up their dogs and pets and like taking pictures of it and stuff and it's it's kind of bizarre like I mean I, I personally haven't looked too far into that like when I see cat videos and stuff or you know people playing with their dogs it's like i don't really look too far into it but i think another thing with this song is it really dives deep into like it's it's a pet like are we buying it for our own entertainment are we actually taking care of the animal like is there this stigma where i have to have a dog and you know it's more of a, a social thing you know so I, I thought that was really cool because he's he's kind of talking about something that i don't think a lot of people necessarily realize might be going on and i can't really think of another artist who sings about like that subject matter so i think like another line did you know you were a cure for them being bored so are you sitting at home like just you know playing with your dog and like not giving them a, an actually good life like are you kind of doing to the dog what you want to do instead of like actually you know raising it and you know keeping it healthy whatever people do with dogs so i thought that i thought that was interesting i thought it was a really interesting subject matter and definitely like something out of the ordinary i thought this was a metaphor of some kind when i first listened to the album and then as it slowly dawned on me that no he's actually talking about this at first i was like that's ridiculous and then i was like it's kind of sick what we do to pets actually as my cat licks her vagina behind us. It's it is kind of, it's like life. Humans are so arrogant that we have taken other life and we're just like this is mine now. Yeah. And I mean, it's a step in the right direction if it's like a shelter animal, I guess, which is why they've become so du jour lately. But it, you know, makes you feel a little better about it. That, uh, but when you really think about it, like you really, and that's why, again, it smacks you in the face as like being so silly at first. But then you think and you're like, this is an animal who should be alive in the world. And I have, I am its master. Who am I to be anything's master? It's kind of weird, yeah, actually. And I'm dressing it up for Halloween. And I and I love that Jack White is sitting in a hotel room 
alone humming to himself musing about this idea yeah. because that's the most jack white thing you could ever do <laughs> well it's and i also love this song because it's one of two songs that actually s- fulfilled that original boarding house reach commitment which is i'm going to go in a hotel room and write songs only two came out of that this and connected by love and when you're thinking about jack sitting at ho- alone in a hotel room <laughs> And he's thinking about being infected by love. That's the first thought. That's thought number one. Thought number two is, what we do to dogs is slavery. <laughs> That's also f***ing great. <laughs> wow. Well, um... Did you get all that, James? I did. No, I'm, I'm really just absorbing through osmosis uh, all of this. No, I, um, I appreciate where you're coming from with the mantic flex and the atmosphere that it brings. It does have a gloomy, almost soundtrack esque atmosphere to it. Uh, mm. that, that is very simple. And that, that is something I usually like from Jack White songs is, is simplicity. I also really like metaphor and, and the fact that there is none does kind of detract from it. it. Like, like Paul was saying, Oh, this is just talking about pets. This is just Jack White talking about something he's angry at. Yeah. <laughs> which is fine. I also like that. So I appreciate it from that point as well. I do like the point you brought up about what is the current like trends with dogs and what we're doing with them. And we're watching them on YouTube. As we know, Jack does watch YouTube occasionally. That's where the Icarus project kind of came from is him getting a, a video of people sending rockets into the air. And he's like, we should do this with records. Like, I like the idea of Jack White going on TikTok and being like, they put a cat in a dress. Like, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, my dog is dressed as Batman. Look at me. <laughs> this is garbage. I like that aspect to it. Uh, we went from having animals having actual, you know, purpose and jobs and whatever to status symbols and things we uh, use for social media, which is a, an aspect to his music I do enjoy is him telling folks, you know, there's another way. There's another way to do things, and, and mm. the way you're doing it can be silly. And I respect that. So I'm going to say, from a zero, oh boy, musically, it's still not hitting me quite right. Thematically, it's now at the level of Paul McCartney and off the ground talking about monkeys smoking. So I'm going to go with 1.5. I'm stuck. I'm, I'm doing it. Whoa. Yeah. Coming in hot. I think to my own dog and I'm like well I mean I don't dress my dog because she would bite me if I did that Uh, (laughs) she's got a purpose but she doesn't need that purpose she was taken off the streets in Tennessee she's like Jack yeah I was gonna say (laughs) (laughs) so anyway Uh, uh, I appreciate your your defense of it wonderful job Jordan and it is my turn to inflict a defense on the Spice Girls. And James, you're the only one who hasn't had to defend something yet. So I'm going to go ahead and choose you for the song Weep Themselves to Sleep. Ooh.
I'll just say a little bit why I chose this Hold one. Hold on, Paul, Paul. Why do you hate this song? <laughs> <laughs> I think there are better versions of this song on Blunderbuss, and my biggest complaint with Blunderbuss is that there are a lot of samey-sounding songs, and there are usually better versions on there. And when I really get down to it, I just find this one a little grating to listen to. I wouldn't say it's bad. It's got a really sick solo. By the way, I listened to all these songs on a playlist this morning. I was like, this is pretty good. All this kind of <laughs> hangs together. I was like, Hyper Misophonic kind of rules. I was like, yeah, it's a good group. But And so Weep Themselves to Sleep, there are things I like about it. You know, I like the the solo, as I mentioned. There's that throw the blows that break your nose like I can. That's kind of fun. But as far as like Jack's diss songs, I think they're just there are better ones on Blunderbuss. And when it comes to this one, I'm just kind of like, he's fallen back on some of those usual traits of his tunes that he does sometimes. So I, when I think of this one, I don't actually think of it as a song. Mm-hmm. I just think of it as kind of a hodgepodge of different scratching and squawking, which is fine because I like that. And it's a nice bit of atmosphere on Blunderbuss. It's just like, eh, of the songs on that album, I'm not really dying to go back to weep themselves to sleep. Okay. 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 (laughs) Woo! Woo! Weep themselves to sleep. I'll just start with a little background here. Just a a smattering of background. It came from uh, Jack White wanting to do more hip-hop stuff, which, you know, is a common thread amongst modern Jack White songs, specifically solo songs also. You know, Black Bat, Licorice, all that stuff. He's quoted here by saying, I'm jealous of how rap and hip-hop lyrics can get away with a lot more metaphors than the world I come from is allowed to get away with. The character in this song is bragging, but also self-deprecating at the same time. He also says, If I'd sat down and said I wanted the delivery of a hip-hop artist, I might not have succeeded. It just came out subconsciously. The White Stripes song, Icky Thump, sounds very much like a rap. I was thinking about Jay-Z and Kanye West and the freedom of expression they have and I don't have. It's about a character singing, no one can blow the shows or throw the bones that break your nose like I can. I was trying to make that statement braggadocious and self-effacing at the same time. So he's doing peak Jack White hip-hop song. Like, this is him at the height of his fame. He's finally in his solo act. He's doing a hip-hop song. He's creating new metaphor. And the song has amazing artists in the back. It's got Carla Azar doing a a really good rap backing drum. It's got the acoustic stylings of Olivia Jean. It's got Bryn Davies on upright bass. And one of the coolest piano accompaniments by Brooke Wagner. Like, that, seriously, that piano... It makes the song so much more powerful than it would have been without her. It has Brooke slamming the keys in an aggressive, increasingly aggressive yet soft-spoken escort to the kind of pseudo-rap that Jack is bringing to the table. The piano in that song is really what sells me. It has this, you know, long crescendo, and then it it dives down, and it's boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, and then it dives down, boom, 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 and it just drives the song in this waves of music, and, and it, I don't know, there's something about a piano doing this powerful kind of musical piece that, that really fits not only the, the tone of the song, but it fits the tone of the material, which is about 
a character who feels kind of all powerful but has been kind of knocked down a peg by their own feelings. You know, they can do anything, but because they put all of their themselves into a relationship or love, it broke them. And it was like the only thing that could break them. And so it's it's him talking about like the fall of somebody who feels like they're on top of the world. And that piano is is the perfect kind of like soft spoken like somebody who's you know in love but it's powerful like somebody who feels like they could sell out every show you know it's nuts and it feels almost like every good jack white song it feels almost like he's talking about himself but then kind of breaks off into character and and you don't know what he's talking about in regards to is this autobiographical is this talking about somebody else and it's got that kind of mystery to it which i really enjoy and then he does rap in this song, which you don't think of it as rap at first. But if you break it down, it it, it is just rapping. He he delivers it really well done, more well done, I think, than a lot of his other rap experiments. I think it's a, a more expertly delivered rap than, say, $3 Hat, which, again, we'll get into, or Black Bat Licorice. I think he has a good natural flow that does deliver a punch, but it doesn't feel forced. It's one of the things I kind of find detracts from Jack White's hip-hop in general, is that it it can feel slightly forced, because I think he is trying to channel other artists that he knows in a world that he doesn't know too well yet, or at least he's not as practiced in it. And I think he does it really well in this song. I think it was on a subconscious level, and I think he did a really, really bang up job the lyric in the song is also uh, you know a fantastic like you said paul the, no one can blow the shows or throw the bones that break your nose like i can so it's like i can rule the world i, I sell out all these shows i can literally break your nose but the men that fall so deep in love they start to weep themselves to sleep can so like they also know this pain and struggle so it's it's this fun dichotomy of somebody who is at the highest of their game and at the lowest of their game at the same time so anyway that's why i love this song i do really love this song and i think it's it's brook wagoner's piano that that really sells i think you had him at carla (laughs) again (laughs) well james i liked two of your points is it olivia jean did you like the olivia jean olivia jean's one of them and so you know me too well (laughs) (laughs) olivia's one of them the other one is I never really thought about this as a dichotomy like that. Somebody who felt on top of the world and at the bottom of the world at the same time, because it is a braggy song, but the title is literally weep themselves to sleep. <laughs> He's crying himself to sleep. Hmm. So I was thinking about that and where he was in his life when this came out and stuff. And Yeah, so those two points I find compelling. I actually, I appreciate the crescendo you're talking about, and I don't think it's poorly played piano. I just, I like the the little trickles that she does. I didn't realize it wasn't Jack. The do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, that bit I like. But I find the hammering thing a little, and I think that may be me conflating seeing it live with him just whacking away at the keys. I don't know. I For those two items, I think I would give, if I was at a zero, if I'm being honest, I'd be at like, a, 
I'm at like a 0.75. Ugh. 0.75. I did a bad job. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Jack. I, I, th- I thought you made good points. I'm sorry to my team. I'm sorry to God. I'm sorry to Jack White. <sighs> I'm just being honest, James. I'm not sorry to Olivia because she did an, a, an amazing job. She did a bang up job. That was one of the things that I liked about your. <laughs> I knew if I mentioned right. that, you'd be a little more salt. <laughs> All right, Alex. I issue one, right? Oh, yeah, because I issued the first one to you. Yeah. So now I would naturally be issuing to Jordan. Yes. Right? So I, for my song for Jordan, I was avoiding Boarding House Reach to give to anybody. So Yeah, I saw we kind of beat up on that one a little bit here. <laughs> I wanted to not do that one. Um, so my song for Jordan is from 2003's Elephant, and it is Little Acorns. The my, recently discovered yeah, new favorite of mine. James's favorite, mathematically favorite song. One day when she was at her lowest, she watched a squirrel storing up nuts for the winter. One at a time, he would take them to the nest. And she thought, if that squirrel can take care of himself with a harsh winter coming on, so can I. Once I broke my problems into small pieces, I was able to carry them just like those acorns, one at a time. So, Little Acorns was very, very fun to dive into. There's so many cool things going on with this. So, how dare you? (laughs) How dare you throw shade (laughs) at this? Just kidding. So, obviously... He's He's got the power suit, the power tie. Everything. (laughs) So, one of Jack's brothers was apparently working at a radio distribution place and he would bring tapes for him to record music on. And when Jack went to play piano, obviously it starts with some random piano coming in. Jack went to play the piano on one of the tapes and apparently during the playback, there was this radio news anchor speaking about a woman named Janet. And if you know the song, obviously got divorced she lost her father and then had money problems as he said in the intro late one autumn day she saw a squirrel gathering nuts together for winter and thought that if the squirrel can muster up the courage to get through the winter she can get through her problems as well so she thought that if she broke her problems down into small little pieces she could get through anything so i think that's where little acorns comes from essentially small problems So one of the coolest things about this song is that the piano layered on top of the news anchor's vocal was completely accidental, but Jack kept it and it lined up pretty well. And it's such a Jack thing because a happy accident is, uh, can be beautiful. And after obviously you hear the piano come in, you hear a guitar riff that basically mirrors the piano from the intro. So I thought this was a really cool way of like to come into the song after somewhat like gloomy but also happy introduction and when the guitar kicks in it it gives me like a super early like raw nirvana type almost from like the bleach era vibe like it's it's very punk but it's also like it's very very jack as well in that era and i thought it was cool that he wrote the rest of the lyrics and the music around the story because he loved it so much because 
imagine getting a tape and you know you just you think it's blank but you're playing piano over it and then all of a sudden you've layered something over a vocal that essentially influences the whole song and i thought that was really cool because if anybody's going to pull a song just from that little narrative is of course it's it's jack so he references it in the opening line take all your problems and rip them apart and be like the squirrel girl be like the squirrel so we can obviously see that he's pulling the lyrics from the opening news anchor story and funnily enough the guy on or the gentleman on the news that was speaking his name is mort Krim, and he's a famous news anchor in detroit so jack recorded this and jack actually found him to play it for him to make sure that it was okay to put on the album and jack was convinced he's gonna hate it so you know i mean probably no point he actually ended up loving it which is pretty interesting you know but i mean it's cool you know happy accident with the speaking so i think with all of this being said i honestly feel like if you're gonna commit to being a jack white fan you almost just have to love the song based on the story alone and how it came about and the happy accident aspect because there's beauty in that at the time it'll be difficult but that happy accent with the piano lining up and just keeping that, it, it keeps the story alive. So that's why I thought this was such a cool track to dive into. I'm a big fan of this track now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorites too. And James, as we mentioned, has figured out that mathematically it's his favorite as well. I was listening to this one this morning and just going, man, I f- love this. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I don't know. I love that. I don't always love the harder rock inside of Jack, but this one is such a nice contrast about it. I had no idea about the piano, too. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Being an accident. Also, (laughs) I just looked it up. Did you know Mort Krim was the inspiration for Ron Burgundy? (laughs) Oh, shit. From Anchorman? Really? Yeah. A whale's vagina. Now there's an argument. (laughs) Thanks for helping them out, James. I'm sorry. Look, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no really cool. also in this I, I totally forgot to attack on he was mort Krim was actually the inspiration for ron burgundy oh. <laughs> <laughs> expertly done i i still th- i think the my favorite part of that was actually the what was it jack got a tape he thought was blank and recorded the piano over it is that what you're saying that's where mort's voice comes from yeah so his brother who was working at the production facility would just bring tapes by Mm -hmm. and i'm assuming just you know off the cuff he's like here you know record onto this or get your hands on whatever you can but then i can just imagine how cool it would be playing that back thinking you're just going to get piano yeah and then all of a sudden you hear this guy's voice and you're like wait what (laughs) did i record that (laughs) like and it's kind of a it's a very cool narrative too like he's got the guy's got a great voice for it Mm -hmm. you know you can tell he's definitely like a pro anchor Mm -hmm. But I can just imagine, like, you know, testing out piano or, or gu- guitar even, you know, if it was me. And I play it back and I'm like, wait, this actually lines up. Like, mm. how does that possibly happen? I have to keep that. Yeah. So it's one of those things where, I mean, if you're if you're into Jack and you're into, like, the happy accidents and how there's beauty in that, I think you, you, you have to like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's my favorite point of the whole thing is that alleged blank tape that ended up coming back and having his piano on it and the anchor's 
voice on it and how cool that was in the whole story. And just like every Jack story, he wants it to perpetuate and live on in the stories and, you know, have its own life there. So yeah, if I was at a zero before just that alone, I think I'll go to a, I think I'm going to go to a, I'm going to go to a 1.6. I think Paul's just out to get me. Try to be honest, Jay. There's no truth in honesty, Paul. <laughs> There's no faith in medicine. Uh, well, 1.6, that is high marks. Mm-hmm. High marks. So, Jordan, you're next up here on the winning team. What's your next song? Okay. And who has to defend it? So, drum roll. James, you have to defend Esmeralda Steals the Show. What melancholy magic has turned a multitude into mush? Mandibles drop from shock. An old lady at high altitude whispering, hush. She slips off her white shoes and grabs her tenor pacifier from its stand. Half steps to the microphone, smile on her face, flower in her hand. Man, we are uh, we're piling on boarding house reach. <laughs> you know, there's there's so much on this record that I love, and then certain things that just don't stick out to me as much. So, why do you loathe this song with a passion of a thousand white hot oh. suns? Well, first of all, I don't loathe anything. Thanks. I'm just kidding. Um, it really comes back to, in all seriousness, when I dove through this album, there were certain things that jumped out at me, like him experimenting. And this is certainly experimenting. But I feel like just everything else had a, a bigger impact as far as like what he was talking about and like the instrumentation and the musicality of it. So I, I thought this would be a good one to be enlightened by because it's just it's also one of those things where... I don't know. Just not not for me. That's fair. Well, there's not a lot in terms of uh, depth to it. I, I mean, similar to Why Walk a Dog, there's a theme and then he runs with it. But the kind of background to this song is that he was uh, sitting at some of his kids' recitals at school and he was imagining the kids doing very unexpected things during the recital. Like uh, he said, quote, wouldn't it be great if a kid just stood up and did a tuba solo right now without being asked to? Which I think is pretty great. Uh, I also agree with Jack. More tuba solos at kids' recitals. Thank you, yes. That's kind of where the song came from. Is just... I mean, and song is... Song might not be the right word. This is a bridge between songs. This is an uh, interlude, a, I would say, on the record. Yeah. There's a few of them on the album. It should be, th- I, I would say it should be thought of like an interlude, not a song. Would you agree, yeah. James? I agreed. It's it's more, the other one that jumps to mind is Abulia and Acrasia. And Abulia and Acrasia doesn't feature Jack at all. This one, you know, at least has Jack doing the lyrics and the singing and the accompaniment and all that. So I, I would say the power of this particular track comes from its metaphor it's poetry 
Webster's defines a poem. (laughs) In all seriousness, Webster's defines a poem as a piece of writing that partakes of the nature of both speech and song that is usually rhythmical and metaphorical and often exhibits formal elements of meter, rhyme, and stanzaic structure. Anyway, so this, this does kind of jump into exactly what a poem is. This is just a lot of metaphor rhythmically placed with some very light, simple acoustic accompaniment. This is almost as Jack White as Little Room is, and I'm going to put that out there. <laughs> this is Simplicity. It has the number three in it. it he, he mentions 30 half steps. It's jam-packed with metaphor. There's something that, that definitely draws me to this song, and I think the, the a lot of that is the alliteration and the the word choice he uses because he delves deep into his vocabulary into his lexicon and pulls some obscure words that make you poke your head up and go like what did he just say or what you know Mm -hmm. instead of saying something as simple as like their mouths were open or something he says mandibles drop from shock (laughs) like he calls jaws mandibles and i love that that's so jack white it's he's describing this scene of somebody walking up to a microphone and saying a sentence and he's doing it similarly to a boolean acrasia he's taking this very simple concept and he's turning it into like a minute and a half in this case a minute and 40 seconds you know he's taking this should be one sentence and turning it into something you want to hear more of He's using alliteration. What melancholy magic has turned a multitude into mush? Like, he's using these words to make you figure out what he's saying, but what he's saying turns out to be so simple. And I think that's there's there's a magic to that. I find it beautiful. I find it just, it's eloquently said. It's said in a, in a hushed tone. It's a nice, calm moment in a sea of strange Hmm. and it's in itself is strange there's lines that make you go like ignoring the beauty of fog on a hill and a kitten with a mouse in its mouth like who are you to say any of this jack white it's (laughs) it's beautiful stop it (laughs) uh and and again there's just alliteration from tip to toe with the, the as a babe bravely stared down the herd but she played not a note and only a moment spoke these simple and poignant five words and this is the crux of it it's just somebody going up to a microphone and saying you people are totally absurd <laughs> She's, you what are you doing what are you doing here and i love it i love i don't know this this is something he couldn't accomplish in a song with more riff rock as he calls it you know you couldn't say this in a lot of other stuff and i think this is kind of along the same lines as the hip-hop route that he was going with when i was talking about weep themselves to sleep he's saying things and using metaphor that he couldn't use in his rock vocabulary like he can't say these kinds of sentences necessarily in at least in this density in a rock and roll song because you just don't have the time to do it you don't have the highs and lows that this could this was this is a whisper of a song and uh the stories about uh, someone whispering so i don't know i love it I, I grew to love it more after kind of looking at it under a closer inspection so i think i explained it poorly but um just know that i turned it from like a zero to like a four so <laughs> i was not thinking of it in those terms but you're right this is kind of the third 
track in his little room series in this album because he's in the room in his head judging everyone. Like he's not going, huh, dogs are slaves. But he's looking around going, I hate all of you. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this. But not actually, I'm sorry. It's not hate. He's more bemused at it. And that's why the, I think the phrase absurd is an important one, mm-hmm. or the, the word absurd is an important one, because what he's saying is this is all silly. It's almost a non sequitur what we're all doing right now. And what he's hoping for is somebody to cut through the, cut through it like a knife. It's almost the, um, it's a, more the most white stripesy track on the album, maybe in that way, because it's kind of a graduated passive manipulation a little. Yeah, it's like someone. That. It, it's Jack White talking about silence for a minute and a half, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to add, James, to your point here too. I think its placement on the record is very good too. Being so, it's track ten of thirteen. I think it's a good like, like I mentioned. I think interlude is the way to think about it. I think this is also a good like palate cleanser, especially following up mm-hmm. stuff like. Ice Station Zebra over and over and over, everything you've ever learned. And then after Respect Commander, you get Esmeralda. That interlude, I think, is a good grounding pause, if you will, because this record is also kind of goes in a lot of directions. For sure. Uh, to, to go from BDSM song to, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a a very quiet auditorium full of kids, it's, it's, <laughs> quite, a, it's quite a way to make you like, whew. Like you said, a palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. Awesome points, honestly. I mean, he had to redeem himself for the last. You might have flipped me on this one. <laughs> I hope I did because I flipped myself. You gave me such a good song. I was so excited to like look more into it. <laughs> no, and honestly, you you explained it great. If I'm being honest, as we all are, I'm going to say if I was at a zero, I'd be at a point seven five. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, there's a reason I'm a pro bono lawyer. I I meant pro bono. I'm pro bono. James is very pro bono. You too? James, you brought brought me to like a two on that one. I'm serious. You turned me around on it. I'm sorry it's not official, but I thought you did a great job. Thank you. All right, James. Look, you're totally absurd is all I want to say. James, you're up next. What's your last pick? Fine. Paul. Uh Uh-oh. James's revenge. No, it's not really because you love this song. So there's no reason for me to think this is revenge. It's it's gonna go anyway. Paul, please defend three dollar hat. Make me love this song. $3 hat is from the Dead Weather's third album, Dodge and Burn. One of Jack White's few lead vocal turns on a Dead Weather song. This finds him and Allison trading lines at the mic. They tell the tale of Jackie Lee, who vows wild revenge after his hat is stolen. Via the independent, $3 hat reconstitutes Stagger Lee and Frankie and Johnny 
with White taking lead vocals like a tongue-in-cheek murder ballad reciting Nick Cave. This one is essentially a blown-out studio ad-lib similar to something like Old Mary from Sea of Cowards, Jack blending old favorites with a wild hip-hop breakbeat behind it. So that's the background on $3 Hat. Now, James, you had me really soul-searching here because you know I love this song. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to figure out, much in a Jamesian fashion, why? Why do I love this song? (laughs) First of all, first of all, the song gets a pass for Jack's breakbeat drumming alone. That's it's some of his best drumming, in my opinion, on the record, maybe period. But but no, my defense for the court today will not be on the basis of this song's excellent musicality, for which it is abundant, <laughs> I assure you. No, my argument today is to sell you on the song's insane and entertaining story, which spans two perspectives and bases itself on historical fact. So, James, we recently did a show on dodge and burn and i submit the following evidence to the court the real story of one of the tracks jack based this song on staggerly blues so the historical staggerly and i think you read this in in our episode james the historical staggerly was a man named lee shelton a pimp living in st louis missouri in the 19th century he was nicknamed stag lee or stack lee with a variety of explanations being given. He was given the nickname because he, quote, went stag, meaning he was without friends. (laughs) Much like me at that prom last night. (laughs) He took, he could have taken the nickname from a well-known riverboat captain called Stackley, or according to John and Alan Lomax, he took the name from a riverboat owned by the Lee family of Memphis, called the Stack Lee, which was known for its onboard prostitution. Shelton was well-known locally as one of the Max, a group of pimps who demanded attention through their flashy clothing and appearance. In addition to these activities, he was captain of a Black 400 Club, a social club with a dubious reputation. On Christmas night, 1895, Shelton and his acquaintance, William Billy Lyons, note they didn't say friends. <laughs> they went with acquaintance. <laughs> he has no friends. <laughs> Imagine your Wikipedia article 100 years after you died was this fucking guy had no friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he was drinking with a man named Billy Lyons at the Bill Curtis Saloon. Lyons was also a member of St. Louis's Underworld and may have been a political and business rival to Shelton. He said, Event- I'm not friends with this man. <laughs> I want it to be known. <laughs> F- that guy. <laughs> uh, eventually, the two men got into a dispute. Whatever could have that been about? Uh, during which Lyons took Shelton's hat, took it off his head. So two pimps got in a fight at a bar, and the most egregious thing that happened is one pimp took the other pimp's hat. (laughs) (laughs) Subsequently, Shelton shot Lyons, recovering his hat, and left. Lyons died of his injuries, and Shelton was charged, tried, and convicted of murder in 1897, 
He was paroled in 1909, but returned to prison in 1911 for assault and robbery and died in incarceration in 1912. And the uh, crime became that of American folklore. Now, let's walk through these lyrics here, shall we? So we begin our journey with that bad man named Jackie Lee. (laughs) So Jack has cast himself in the role of an African-American pimp here. I'm that bad man named Jackie Lee shooting everyone down with my 33. So uh, we had talked, James, in the Jackie and Johnny song. Or, no, it was called something else. Frankie and Johnny song. There's like, he's shooting people down with a 44. So we had the 33 here. Jackie said, Johnny, can't you see that you love everybody but Jackie Lee? So Jackie Lee has no friends. And Johnny loves everybody. He's getting along with lots of other f***ers, but he doesn't like Jackie because Jackie doesn't have friends. Johnny said to Jackie, don't take my life. I got three young kids and a badass wife, which is, first of all, one of my favorite lines from that song, but doubly better knowing what the story is Jack is riffing on here. Jackie told Johnny, you're acting, you're acting crazy. What do you know about having a baby? You're crazy. Because <laughs> he has no friends. He has no point of reference for this. <laughs> and what I care about your kids and wife. You don't stole my hat. I'm going to take your life. So he's going to kill this guy for taking his hat. And then he laughs. Ha ha ha. When you hear it on the record, he's like, ha ha ha. I'm that bad, na- bad man named Jackie Lee shooting everybody down with my 33. And then we break. And James, this is about this is about a man who shoots somebody for taking his hat. So just stew on that for a moment. But I submit to you that the break in the middle, when we go into the all that, uh, and Allison takes over, I submit to you that Allison is singing from the perspective of the other pimp of Johnny, okay. and that's what that frantic is. Is like this guy is trying to kill me for taking his hat, and he's running away. There's a knife in my hand and I'm going to stand deliver. So initially he's going to try and fight him. Why? Because I must erase your mind forever. There's a throat I must slit and I will stand before I surrender. I'll fall back, but I won't be the one to say, wait up, where you at? I'm so much better than that $3 hat. He's making his case not to be killed. Then we flip back to Johnny's point of view. And here's where things get really interesting. So Jackie kills Johnny for the hat. He succeeds on his quest and then is tried, convicted, and hung for the crime. Jackie said, Johnny, let's tit for tat. You want to trade your life for a $3 hat? So he killed him. They hung Jackie Lee at 3 o'clock, left his hands there on the butcher block. He's that bad man named Jackie Lee, shooting everyone down with his 33. And then the piece de resistance, the cherry on top, is that Jackie reveals as he fades to death his relationship to Johnny going so far as to say that the quarrel between the two was that of sweethearts. So Jackie was looking for a friend and in a kind of like Joker-esque way felt through this violent act, they had found a connection because he has no friends. Again, I must emphasize no (laughs) friends on this man, but through the act of murder, he connected with somebody. That's all. I, I I don't know how to I don't know how to talk to you if you don't like that. I I love it. I think that's great. Mic drop. Yeah. 
Paul, I, yeah, I was going to say, say that that could be your one man show right there, like three <laughs> nights a week. It's just Paul doing his aggressive interpretation and reading the lyrics of Three Dollar Hat. <laughs> and convincing everybody in the audience. <laughs> he is holding a football the whole time, like every good one-man play. <laughs> yeah. Hurling around like Billy Crystal. Yeah. Well, Paul, I don't remember any of that from the episode <laughs> that we did, but that is amazing. I really enjoy the story. You've shown me a side of that song that I didn't think existed, and I appreciate that. I think musically, I still mostly connect to the Allison segment. The Jack White rapping, I I talked about it and weep themselves to sleep. I think it's been more eloquently done. I think it's fun, but I do find it uh, less natural and more forced than than something like in in weep themselves to sleep. However, the story uh, is very compelling. And I, I enjoy your interpretation of it. I will say, counterpoint, I don't necessarily think Allison is playing the role of Johnny. I do think she is playing the role of Jackie's inner monologue as he's oh. about to kill someone. So he's get the adrenaline starting to pump and he's, yeah. he's about to kill somebody. And, and, you know, that's the inner monologue. You know, you maybe you shouldn't do this. Somebody, you know, you're better than a three dollar hat. Or whatever, and, and all this other stuff. Because how would Johnny know it's a three dollar hat? I mean, come on. I guess I was thinking about it. You're you're right, uh, but I was thinking about it because he's got a gun, and then in the Allison bit, she's talking about a knife, and so I thought it was the other person. But it might be it may be both the weapons mm. um, because I think what you're saying makes more sense. Uh, however, I I do enjoy that dichotomy. I find I do enjoy the song more knowing that kind of history behind it. So. I mean, it's kind of disingenuous for me to say this song was a zero. I did like this song before. Uh, obviously, we've been saying that about all of them, but like this wasn't a zero for me. But if I'm starting at a zero, I really want to do a point seven five because that's what y'all did to me every time. <laughs> but I'm not we did. Gonna... We did honesty to you. <laughs> I know. I would have given you a solid two on uh, on your Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. Esmeralda, mm-hmm. But, yeah, okay. But what is and could is are the candies and nuts or whatever that rhyme is. Well, you guys are better than a point seven five hat, so I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with two. I'm gonna go with two. Whoa! Two. It's it's a good song, and the history makes me enjoy it a whole lot more. Like I knowing all of that, it does draw me in quite a bit more. And so I'm I'm sorry to Team Spice. <laughs> it's, honesty is the best policy, and I forget where where I was going with that anyway. <laughs> We're gonna win for honesty. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings me to my final song. And it's my pick for Alex to defend. Alex, I want you to tell me about attention.
Ah, uh, just to say why I don't all the way love this one. Again, much like Weep Themselves to Sleep, I feel like there are better versions of this song on the same album. I would look at Five on the Five as the one I would pick from the three kind of loud tracks. And I like this album more when there's a bit more dynamics. The title track is one of my favorite songs of all time, Consoler of the Lonely. I love that song so much. James did a great job at convincing me of the merits of switching the spur last time. Mm -hmm. There are tracks on this record, Pull This Blanket Off of Me. It's a great one. Mm -hmm. So many great ones on here. But this one, just to me, I'm just like, I get this already in different places and better, and I don't really need it. Mm -hmm. And that was reinforced when listening to it again mm -hmm. uh, in pre preparation for this episode. Although the musicality is sort of hard to deny. Uh, Little Jack is um, really going crazy on that bass. But uh, yeah, anyway, that's, that's why it's not one of my favorites. Alex... You have the floor, sir. I definitely see your points with you could find it somewhere else, if you will. I, when Jordan and I were talking, I think it was Thursday or Friday, the songs would come in of who's doing what song. And Consolers is my favorite Jack record of all time and probably my favorite record of all time. So when I saw that, it was like, and Jordan was like, oh, here's your songs. And I saw it and it was like, Paul gave me a Consoler song? It's f***ing on. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> That's why I then gave you a Satan song. <laughs> throw me a bone, I'll throw a bone. Fair enough. Anyway, so my opening argument actually goes to what you were saying about LJ, because he can do no wrong in just the greatness of the melodic and scorching bass line. It's right out in front. That's the line in that song, you know? That melody there is just classic, classic LJ. And nobody, I don't think anybody's ever been like, yeah, he's not so great. You know, he's just... <laughs> He's awesome. So I'm going to keep it moving because I've got two pages here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, for a portion of raconteurs fans that don't know, uh, the word raconteur refers to one that is adept at anecdotes or clever, skillful storytellings. Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Consolers is full of these characters and stories from The Switch and the Spur. To which James had defended before, uh, to top yourself to Carolina drama, which I think embodies the zenith example of this. But I'm not defending that song because it would be a little too easy. Attention, however, strikes me more in the realm of a Brendan romance song, only more in the cynical approach, describing a narcissistic person. This is represented in verse one. So the first verse reads, he talks about you might have good intentions, but they're not coming through. You're very pleased with yourself, I see. It's like a walk in the park. You aren't enlightened by anybody else, because you can see in the dark. So, Consolers was released in 08, recorded in February, and released in March, very fast. Fans of Brendan Benson will recall the darker and more downtrod stylings often found in his 05 album, The Alternative to Love. I don't remember if it was an episode that you guys featured BB on or if you were talking about it, but that album has a lot of like heartache in it. Even though there's a lot of upbeat songs, there's a lot of like downtrod sadness in that record. That's my favorite for him. Mine as well. That and Old Familiar Friend. So the lyrics for Attention make me wonder if this song or even the lyrics alone could have had a place on that record and maybe never made it. 
It definitely feels like the lyrics alone have that downtrodden, again, the alternative to love. Maybe this unhealthy relationship with this person could have been in again like an alternate universe side of a, a love story and that's why i went with it's not a romance as much as it's like a cynical thing so a lyrical note to point out is the use of the ABAB rhyme scheme where the first and third lines of the stanza rhyme and the second and fourth follow suit the best example of this pattern is in verse two where brendan reads I tried a subtle suggestion, a more direct approach. I can't make a connection, you're beyond reproach. Which again, a reproach as in like, you just can't get through to them in any way. No need for petty excuses, no need for thumbing around. I don't know what the use is or what you're throwing down. Now, thumbing around is interesting because a lot of the urban old-time dictionaries refer to it as combing through pockets or playing with yourself with your thumb. So there could have been a masturbation thing there or that type of aspect there. But also I think the imagery of thumbing around, when people think of that, I think maybe the first instinct would be to whittle your thumbs, kind of just like playing around with them. But, I was uh, thinking hitchhiking. That, yeah, that could have been too, you know. If you're going with the thumbing thing, this person doesn't need it because their their charisma and whatnot. I think I'll, I mentioned here that the person they're talking about, again, it's a cynical relationship, if you will, very self-centered, narcissistic. Now, I skipped over the chorus, but we're getting to it. The chorus plays, for me, three parts. Oh, and I also want to mention the A-B rhyme scheme is really cool because I feel like the default in a lot of music is A-A-B-B. And we're going to get to that, but... The three parts that this chorus plays for me, the first part is the illustration of the person's power. Power as in respect to their charm, beauty, or charisma. This enamored emotional slave, if you will. Again, kind of harken back to the alternative to love era for me. So the chorus reads, got a lock, got a key, got some kind of vice-like grip on me. On a leash by the reins, got a look that puts me in chains. So again, kind of this enamored with this person, even if they don't reciprocate vibe that I got going. And he's mentioned it multiple times with the vice-like grip, the leash, and the reins and chains. So all classic imagery in that nature. So the second part, as I just mentioned, that he switches dramatically over from the A-B scheme to the A-A-B-B scheme in the course. The intention-seeking aspect and self-centered nature of the person are solidified in the following lines. Do you like the reflection? Do you love the reflection? Do you like what you see? Do you like the attention? Do you like the attention you get from me? And the part I like in this musically too, since I've only talked about LJ's like scorching bass, is you'll hear Jack actually in this part, kind of reflecting it if you will, mirroring those lines and those songs kind of in a traditional backing sense not quite a call and response like level from 06 but more of him just mirroring that exact thing so the third and final part which i sent you an email paul while i was talking the third and final part for me with the chorus is that it leads us to the imagery of the song art this would be the icon used for the song it was a dial combo lock, like you'd see on your school locker or a bike locker, with an eye in the middle of it. It's done in the same artistic fashion as the rest of the record sleeve artwork. Attention 
was never released as a single. However, it has a cool story to it. Here is where the stylophone comes in. Yeah, I'm looking at this thing here. I don't think I've ever seen this before. This is wild. You guys don't have a video thing, but I have one here in front of me as well. The stylophone is a small electric musical device. It's about the size of a VHS tape, maybe a little bit smaller. The player touches a note on the metal keyboard with the attached stylist, and the connection makes a circuit loop and produces a note. The units commonly feature a vibrato feature on them. The raconteurs had custom copper and black stylophones made for the release of consolers. Wow. There were also note-numbered chart books for two songs. These two songs were for Salute Your Solution and Attention, uh, the two songs that Jack played stylophone on. The band also ran a contest, and I'll read the following contest thing. So my stylophone is right in front of us. So you'll hear that sound at the end of Salute Your Solution. And Jack also plays it at the end of Attention. So if a person got that bundle, it had those two songs in it. You could play the notes for it. So that's, again, another reason I like Attention is because Jack plays stylophone on it, which is a very rare thing to really even see. Uh, I shared you on a picture. There was also on their website... There was this thing. It read, The Raconteur's Stylophone Contest. We want to see you playing your favorite Raconteur song on the band's custom stylophone. Post a video on your YouTube account and email the YouTube link to us here. Please remember to include your name and the title of the song you are playing in the email. We will be posting a selection of the videos on the Raconteur's website. The band will select a winner and three finalists. And then it goes on saying about when they'll be submitted. And uh, just tying back to our colors episode last time, the image I sent you, Paul, also has that neon green color that you end up seeing them use much more prominently and help a stranger. Yeah. (laughs) So those are my big points for attention. And I definitely see the whole, you could get it in Salute Your Solution and Five on the Five. However... Brendan didn't shy away from singing the more aggressive song here, which usually he does. You know, that's usually more of Jack's realm, and I like this song for Brendan. Again, not my favorite track on the record, or Brendan track in general, but I really like and appreciate those aspects that they put on this song. Outside of the the musicality is still great here, too. And I have the stylophone in front of me, so I get a point for that, I think. (laughs) (laughs) To reiterate the point that you made earlier, uh, this is a classic brendan aggressive love lauren song mm-hmm. that basically is very similar to like open your eyes that sort of stuff it's classic brendan paul <laughs> yeah well i never really thought about or considered the lyrics of this song because it shouts at me a lot <laughs> <laughs> um so i tell you i would have now that you talk it through and you're talking about alternative to love and stuff songs like that Cold hands, etc. I didn't make that connection really until I was like, I didn't read that anywhere online. I kind of, yeah. being an alternative to love fan, I kind of was typing through the lyrics. I was making my arguments, and I'm thinking of a lot of the stuff of alternative to love, just his mental space he was in during right. that record. And I'm looking through them, and I'm like, man, this could have been on the alternative to love. Probably yeah. different musically, though. Right. 
And I think that this is an example of where the Jack Brandon mix doesn't work for me mm-hmm. because if he had done a treatment that of this that sounded a little like Metairie or Alternative to Love or something like that, I think I might have been thinking about this song a lot differently. And just knowing or thinking about it in those terms, it actually makes me like the song as it exists better because I'm kind of putting it in that space. Mm-hmm. The real kicker for me is this stylophone thing. Mm-hmm. This is wacky. The fact that there is stylophone sheet music <laughs> to two track two tracks from Consolers of the Lonely mm-hmm. with custom booklets and custom packaging here, mm-hmm. I find that extraordinarily charming. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and again, like I mentioned, the two songs were the two ones that they played on the record. And right. you could get it, and you could start doing those noodles. I, I liked that aspect, and I, and I don't know if that contest would have existed without attention. Yeah, the contest is funny. I didn't know about that. The green on this, I'm fixating on Look now at because Look at the, well, he's freaking <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> the the green and the um, copper together, like that's our whole thesis statement yeah. right here in this image. <laughs> It's a really fun tool as well that they branded with raconteurs on it. That's just so wild. It's it, You tune it yourself on the bottom. I put a little piece of tape so I don't hit it. Just three batteries, and all you do is yeah. touch it. Three, three. You know? Really cool. I'm going to find one. I'm going to go on wherever. I, I just went on eBay to look for one as you were talking. I think I got this for 40 bucks. On their site. The cheapest was $56 yep. from the I think UK. I saw some on Reverb.com maybe that were maybe sold. Again, there's a lot of stylophones out there, and you can actually get like a traditional basic one at like um, some stores around here. I forget the name of them. Uh, Urban Outfitters has them, I think. It should be noted that the stylophone for 56 that I found, the Raconteurs one specifically, did not come with the sheet music. came yeah. with everything else but the sheet music. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Like I said, Paul, this probably wouldn't exist without Salute Your Solution and attention. (laughs) Well, there's nothing, Alex, basic about your argument. On the basis of this collector's item alone, I'm going to. I'm going to. Paul just hates me. (laughs) Team winning hates me. The stylophone does it. item. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, James, I didn't see you bring a stylophone to Two's the court. Big. Two is big. Two yeah, is big. You Two's didn't big see one. me bring anything. Apparently, <laughs> James, you had that marshmallow you chocolate. Did a great job. I did bring the marshmallow. It's called stuffed puffs, and I hate them. It's just, <laughs> this is me saying. This is me gonna, about to write. Why walk a dog about stuffed puffs? <laughs> All right. Uh, so the Spice Girls have. Two, three. We're all on the edge. All right. So the Spice Girls got a solid five points. Okay. Five. This is a house of learned lawyers. (laughs) Team winning got... Team winning got a... All right. So the Spice Girls came in at a solid five... Team winning is at a 
So we edged it out there. There it we is. Squeaked it there, but team winning, let's call it a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> Well done, team. And I'd like to thank Esmeralda and the dog slave and um, the, those two pimps, one of which had no friends. And, and, <laughs> and our own instincts. That was fun, gentlemen. Um, James, if I'm recalling correctly, you won the last time. So now we are formally tied between the two of us. And our next showdown will be the tiebreaker. So, uh, I you, mean, you I, have no idea. I'm about to go on a months long crusade about uh, you didn't actually win, and I'm going to go to the Supreme Court. <laughs> I was wondering why there was a Buffalo man in my apartment. Yeah, right well, yeah, no. Uh, I, Who let you in here? I'm sorry. I summoned Q, <laughs> the, the Star Trek entity, to, to your house. It's didn't fun. show. So, yeah. John Delancey, he should be there shortly. <laughs> John Delancey smells like vanilla. Uh, Copper Sound fellas, thank you. Alex Garaldi, Jordan Collins, it was great talking to you. And I'd also like to thank a couple other people. James, we're just going to run through our, our list here. Patreon patrons, we would like to thank. Should we change Stephen Reese's name? No. It's Steve- Stephen Nation Army is too good. Stephen Nation Army is good. very good, but what was the other funny one you said? Uh, Old Mary full of full of Reese. <laughs> That's way f***ing bad. When are... I'm just going to do both. <laughs> Two nicknames, Paul? <laughs> we have precedent for that. All right. Stephen Reese. <laughs> Stephen Nation Army or Old Mary full of Reese. It's <laughs> very funny to me. <laughs> Ashley Forbes. Steady Ashley goes... Shane, Ben, Jamson, the Shane boy you've always known, Melinda Andress, you look pretty in your fancy Andress, Elizabeth Myers, the other one with two nicknames here, rolling in on a burning Myers or one eye, one blank stare, looking up Myers there, Brett Garski, the Brett three, kill my Garski, Yvette Wilkins, Wilkins on sunshine, Brenda Englehart, the name's so nice, we don't even have to write what it is next to it. Uh, we want to be the boys to warm your Englehart, Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation, Stu Cat, Stu Drivers, Julia and Tobias, the $3 hat megs, Melinda Tay, Lord Send Me an Angel Down, Josh Aiken, Joe Shaken all over, Luke Sinclair, Luke Me Over Closely, Tam Davis, our third person spirit every week, Michael Brookfield with a bone, Brookfield, and Derek Forever. Ferguson. Ferguson. Forever for Ferguson. And if you'd like to find us and talk to us and, I don't know, fight for our love in many ways, you can do so by finding us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash thirdmen. You can tweet at us at thirdmencast on Twitter. Tumble on down with us. That's thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can find us on our website. That's thirdmenpodcast.com. You can email us thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Send us why you, uh, you know, like why walk a dog. Give us a, give me more. I want more. Anyway, find us on Instagram. What's your stance on... Taking a life to create a creature that can no longer be birthed naturally. Tell us your stance on that. This is why I like Esmeralda, because it's saying a lot eloquently about nothing. And what Paul just said was saying a lot ineloquently about, oh boy, a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, pugs just exist. 
Uh, find us at third men underscore podcast. The copper sound guys are like, why are we still here? And we Never. should, we shouldn't have done this. Uh, if you don't want to become a Patreon patron, you could buy some merch. Why not? I'll do a Q shaman thing with our logo on it. Bit.ly slash third men merch. You can find us on ACAST. They host our show. I'm in a romantic relationship with them. You could find us on YouTube where we occasionally do stuff. That's youtube.com slash C slash the third men podcast. Why they included that C is beyond me. I think it's for comedy and you could rate review or subscribe a number of ways, but uh, a way that will help us is by going to rate us dot third men podcast.com. And that's, that's the, the long and short of it. And as always, we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help of the recording of our theme song with Third Man as well. Susanna Roundtree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. And, oh, Copper Sound guys, where the fuck can people find you? <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find us on all social platforms. Instagram.com slash Copper Sound Pedals. Uh, Twitter, Copper Sound FX, FX, just the letters spelled out. Uh, Facebook.com slash Copper Sound Pedals. Yeah, hit us up there. Check out what we're doing. We're um, going to be at the NAM show, Nashville, coming up in the next couple months with a nice triple graph themed booth. So if you're in the area or if you're going to the show already, come say hi. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <clears throat> Anything else coming down the pike from Copper Sound you can tease or talk about? Or There's something really cool coming up, but we can't talk about it. Mm. It's the Butterball-specific pedal, and uh, it just makes turkey warbles. It's Sorry, I had an NDA, but I broke it. You guys can... <laughs> <laughs> We'll speak after this privately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, then, until next episode, James, the next episode will actually be our season finale. We are putting this limping slave dog to bed (laughs) we are shooting this dog in the head and the season will be over and until then i will be looking for a home sitting in an auditorium full of other parents wondering why (laughs) the world is the way it is and why people suck so hard what are you done? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I will be looking for a home on a steamboat in a world full of acquaintances and not friends. <laughs> Jordan, where where will you be looking for a home? You copped out last time, so you gotta you have to do one That's now. True. I'm gonna be looking at all of my friends who have pets. Judging them. And I'm just gonna be I'm gonna be upset. When I go back and deep dive on their Instagram and see their dogs dressed up as Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm going to put a sticker on my dog's nose. Tonight. <laughs> Alex, and Alex, will you be looking for a home? I'll be looking for a home on a pig farm wondering why the pigs get it and I don't. <laughs> we did it. Well we did it. We guys. did it. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time.
if I'd sat down and wanted to deliver a hip hop, sorry, if I, man, I'm, the beer is starting to get to me and the only dinner I've had is this chocolate stuffed marshmallow. <laughs> Let's go back to our song. Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough. But if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right. It's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody. I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Two point five, 2.7. Getting all confused here. Spice Girls have... I'm just going to put up the calculator here like a lazy bum. What did I write? I wrote this all wacky. Oh, 1.5. Nobody got a 7? What, what happened? Oh, what did you Hold do? do <laughs> I'm doing that again. Hold on. 1, 2.75. This is, obviously won't be in the pot. 1.5 and then a 0.75. I just put it in the wrong spot. Should be noted me and Paul are artists. We are not ma- mathsmen. You don't have to make excuses for me, James. I know where my failings are. <laughs> I know where my feelings are. 